friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before. Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. I'm Bill Bohr. And today, Bill, we are going to talk about Jesus. Well, at least images of Jesus and the idea of Jesus and the use of Jesus. Do you know there is a Rorschach Jesus, which like, oh, it's something like a hundred percent people can identify it. It's it's a beard. It's it, you can see clearly, like kind of, I not how clearly in a Rorschach, but it's a Rorschachish thing that everybody identifies as Jesus. Huh. Yeah, well, it's a remarkably familiar figure. And when it's appropriate, it, um, we're talking about doing our top 10 favorite pop songs about Jesus that aren't necessarily from Christian groups. Yes, this this will be in 2016. It, we're, we're not going to do it every episode, every week. We might do like one every two weeks, one every three, as, as we kind of, uh, as the spirit moves us. But <laughs> by, in 2016, we will, we promise we will finish and get to number one. Yeah, yeah, we've already put together a rubric on how we're going to scientifically make our selections. Yes. This is actually, Bill, you devised this. Why don't you tell everybody about this? Because this is actually impressive. Well, because this is, you know, I was paying attention during probability and statistics and a social science undergraduate finally comes in some handy. It's not going to be like in Dead Poets Society where they go, remember he's reading the literary thing, a poem with, uh, with, you know, a great, technical ability you know as you have two lines like a great technical ability and then depth of 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 the <laughs> of the of the content so it's like so you know a, a sonnet by byron would only yield this much surfery <laughs> but, but shakespeare <laughs> has both um good meter and weighty topic yielding a massive total area i, I encourage you to practice the pritchard method as you're reading <laughs> and robin is like excrement <laughs> tear it out yeah, yeah, he was so good in that movie. So many, yeah, he's, yeah, I still, the idea of Robin Williams being dead is so sad to me. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Howard Stern was saying, uh, he had like a weird experience interviewing him. And he always loved Robin Williams. And uh, like two days before he committed suicide, Stern was thinking, I just had this feeling, I should write him a note. I don't know, something. Uh, and, yeah. you know, it's all this yeah. carpe diem, you know, a great theme from that film, but seizing the day. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think one of the great, for me, one of the, my favorite religious movies uh, is the uh, Fisher King. Oh, yeah. A great story yeah. of redemption. But we, we yeah. digress. All right. So uh, basically, we're going to come up with this list of songs that uh, I think we, ha- we haven't totally done our criteria, but I think Jesus least has to be featured in a verse. Yes. Okay. So there has to be a whole verse about Jesus, not just a shout out. And we're going to pick 10, but we're going to uh, rate uh, our list of songs. And so far we have about 25 or 30, and we certainly aren't done putting our list together. So we're only going to give, we're only allowed to give five a grade of three, another five a grade of two, and then we can give as many as we want to a grade of one. So our top 10 um, vote getters will be the top 10. And then anything that gets any points will be an honorable mention. If you get zeros, it doesn't even get an honorable mention. So, okay, there, so we could, so if you and I neither give 
a point. It doesn't even that do an honorable mention. Now, we could, since we do have a Facebook page now, if any of you want to make uh, suggestions or, well, you know, if anybody feels strongly about a song and wants to vote for one, we will, we will take that. Yeah, out. we'll solicit your comments. Go to New Persuasive Words, our Facebook page, and like us, by the way, if, if you're there, if, if you indeed do like us. Don't, like, not like us or give us a bad review. If <laughs> also, if you have time to give us an iTunes review, if you enjoy the show, it takes, like, two minutes, not even two minutes. You can do it in 60 seconds. Just, you know, give, you know, click five stars and write something nice. And, there uh, we go. There we go. Well, all right. So back to pop culture. Do you, is, is there anything that you find offensive? I mean, what, I mean, what is the line that is crossed for you when it comes to the appropriation or misappropriation of Jesus in any pop culture medium? I am seldom offended. You know, it's interesting. Nietzsche says that the sacred is what we all agree you can't laugh at. Mm. But, and that's why, I mean, there's very little sacred in our culture that everyone can agree. You know, like right. it, uh, maybe 9-11 or something. I mean, there's very right. few things. But yeah, in general, I, around the sacred, don't offend easily. Like, I just don't, it's not a thing that's is it really... Because you, is it because of your, your theology of sacred? Uh, no, I think it's just more temperamental. Uh, mm. I think that like there's just something uh, I don't. Uh, I guess I, I just don't offend easily around value value stuff that connects to faith for me. It's not yeah, something that I take it very seriously, and 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 I understand people that do. Like, I, I, but I think some of this is kind of like uh, temperamental. Like, I, it's like we you were saying. You know, I were saying. Uh, we weren't in the podcast, but you know, I feel like in any given faith community, I don't care what your tradition is, right? There's probably like a bell curve. There's probably like 10% of people, maybe, you know, that are kind of like me, true believers in that they're not better Christians or Jews or anything, but they're just not plagued by doubts. They're not people that are like, what's the bare minimum I got to have to believe? You know, they're like, oh, look at all these neat things I get to believe. You got 10% of the other side that are, Devout, Mother Teresa was plagued by doubt her whole life. It's one of the most faithful right, Catholics. Right. And most people are in between, right? Where, you know, it's seasons of doubt, seasons of faith, and, it, you know, maybe a little more faith for some, more doubt for others. Uh, but I think that the problem is, this is a side note, but I think the problem is with communities absolutized. Right. Like one, like certain communities, doubt is villainized, where the 10% become the norm. And in other kinds of community, doubt is valorized. Like if you really are sincere in your faith, you're not mature. If you're not cynical and jaded, and I think that same thing with like the sacred and offense. I think, despite like our theology, people are just temperamental, like psychologically. Like I just kind of, I don't offend easily. Right. Like I, I do think, for instance, uh, was it Charlie Hebdo? Is that I just pronounced that wrong? The satire magazine in France where the people were killed. Yeah. Yeah. The anniversary of that. I guess we just passed that anniversary. Didn't yeah. We? I I just find their stuff totally in poor taste and and offensive to general to just general sensitivities. Now again, I defend their right to be offensive, but I mean to me, just being offensive and and trying to openly provoke folks, um, I, I don't I don't see there's no really intrinsic value to that. I've certainly. Uh, but you know, I absolutely defend the right to be offensive. Uh, now, you know, take, let's say something like South Park. You know, sometimes the first time I saw Jesus portrayed on South Park, 
I, it probably made me a little uncomfortable, but because they're such an equal opportunity offender, and Jesus, you know, doesn't come across bad uh, in South Park. I mean, not certainly not uh, worthy of worship, but I didn't. I did not have a trouble. I didn't really have a trouble with that. Uh, maybe uh, maybe unease unease initially, but um, and something I surely wouldn't promote. But um, I, I think it's. Because that's not Jesus, and it's just kind of their strange cultural critique of everything. I, I that didn't bother me so much. Yeah, it's interesting. We were I was just sharing with you this article that David Zoll, our friend and colleague, uh, and and by the way, thanks to David for giving us a shout out on the Mockingbird Top New Podcast. Yeah, that was that was uh, really appreciate that. It's very kind. But he wrote an article in Modern Reformation called Jesus According to Pop Culture. And he says that, you know, one of the points he makes is basically almost universally, even if it's kind of satirical and joking and like South Park, Jesus never comes off badly. He might not come off as worthy of worship, like you're saying, but he doesn't come off. Very few people um, are interested in maligning Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's... (laughs) like it's it's interesting. For instance, the life of Brian, the uh, the uh, uh, I just lost the English. Uh, Monty, 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 Python. Monty Python. Yeah, gosh, Monty Pythons. You know, it's funny. There are certain times in my life I've watched that I, I just thought it was funny or stupid, and there's times that I'm uneasy about it. But uh, you know, the original title was Jesus Christ Lust for Glory. That's <laughs> what they were called. <laughs> now I think. That uh, that probably would not have worked, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think generally, it's it's. I mean, there's so many things that are, uh, you know, at least the popularized, watered down version of what Jesus was about. I mean, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to be too upset about that. I remember one of my sons played music with this um, a secular Jewish guy from New Jersey. They were playing jazz music in New Orleans, which is a great place to do jazz music, and. And uh, he was up visiting, and he goes, uh, Mr. Moore, maybe you can help me with this. You know, like some of my people are upset with Jews for Jesus. Um, <laughs> but I just, yeah, I just found out about this Jesus person, and, and I read about him, and, you know, he seems to be a pretty cool guy. So does that make me a Jew for Jesus? Because I'm kind of for him. <laughs> <laughs> I assured him, well, now that's not quite what that is, but it's... Uh, but to me, that was funny. A person who had no religious teaching whatsoever of any kind, and but you know, a culturally identified as Jew was Jewish. But the fact that almost come kind of a, a blank slate, his first reaction about Jesus was that he was positive. You know, even people that are, you know, ferocious critics of religion, like Bill Maher. Bill Maher says so many positive things about Jesus. And I remember in an interview, he went to Dartmouth, I think, I'm with Terry Gross. He said, you know, one thing I was struck by in my religion classes was how radically Jesus was on the side of the vulnerable and the poor. Right. Which is something unique he found, you know, in the way he did it. And I think that even, I mean, it's hard, I think, to be against Jesus. I mean, you can be offended by him, or, right. you know, and it can be unsettled, but like, in general, I mean, the church, uh, you know, easy to be against the church. <laughs> that does not take a lot to get people worked up about the church. But people, Jesus is an incredibly sympathetic figure. Well, it's interesting to me. It's funny. We can get, as a people of religious sensibilities, we can get offended 
at portrayals of Jesus, but something you just said, I think if if we don't get offended by the words of Jesus, we're not reading him properly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, you know, again, so if, all right. Now, does this make me, was this wrong? I don't know. I mean, my one son was a goalie in uh, soccer when he was younger. And one year for Christmas, I bought him a T-shirt that had Jesus blocking a penalty kick. And it said, Jesus saves. Uh, I don't think it's offensive. I think it's not funny. But I, I, we'll see if it's you, a little funny. I, it was, I mean, it's kind of, it was a, you had to have the visual. See, I think if Jesus played soccer, he would be the goalie. Maybe. That's yeah. very possible. It's or a, it's or a, a sweeper. It's, it's very possible. <laughs> David, in his piece, he's got a couple different uh, a, uh, Jesuses that he thinks are out there. Um, one, uh, the culture they send or dominant strain, he thinks, are macho Jesus, hipster Jesus, and urban Jesus. Oh, okay. So Mark Driscoll, you know, I remember him writing this piece that there's this effeminate Jesus long, that's, you know, long surfer hair. And so Jesus would have been, as a carpenter, he would have had a six pack. He probably would have been tough. Uh, he wasn't this pacifist. Like, I'm just thinking. <laughs> the Jesus of the weight room. Yeah. You're just, in, in these descriptions, they defy any kind of sensibility. But I, you, there is this kind of, you know, uh, there's this movement out there that the church is too feminized. And they're not talking about feminism, but they're talking about, it's not a place where guys feel right. comfortable. And so you, you know, you have these, you know, Daily Show has shown like, you know, they had these Christian uh, mixed martial arts fighters. And then another group was against, thought it was against the gospel. So they do just Christian feats of strength, like breaking blocks. Oh, yeah, no physical I've seen those guys. Yeah, no. So it's, I mean, this is kind of the, Davis is also the subtype, this is Coach Jesus. Right. And you have the, uh, the hipster Jesus you see in a lot of art out there, you know, kind of where Jesus looks like, He's kind of, a, a, you know, a Brooklyn, like a Williamsburg kind of guy that's, you know, slightly disaffected, but compassionate. Wearing tight jeans. Tight jeans. Yeah. Nerdy glasses, hipster glasses, kind of like mine. But, <laughs> well, we, we, we do. I mean, part of it is it's okay to remake Jesus in our own image. I mean, I love that kind of simple children's Christmas song. Some children see him and it goes through all the races of the world and that we on one level, every time has seen Jesus through their own eyes and projected on him. Uh, that wonderful book by Joseph Pelican, uh, late great church historian, uh, uh, Jesus Through the Ages. It's a really fascinating book um, because it talks about from historical perspective and also shows the art of the different ages, how Jesus was presented. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like when... They had the Faces of Jesus exhibit, Rembrandt's Faces oh, of yeah, Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the also Philly crazy. Art Museum. Yeah, yeah it was uh, just amazing. And I went to this talk uh, one Sunday. They had an interfaith roundtable and stuff. But the first, before the interfaith roundtable and panel discussion, there was this talk by this scholar. He might have had a dual part appointment in art and religion or something, but gave a wonderful talk about just Jesus in, in history. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed was most of the art, it made me think about the remaking of the image, like you, these great Flemish uh, yeah. pictures where Jesus, is, is Mary and Joseph, where Jesus, you know, is in this Flemish village. And it, it, it's all set historically in, in, a, in a, you know, 16th century. Yeah. But I think that I, and I actually asked the lecture about this, that it seems that every piece but one we looked at 
was either highly symbolic and stylized right. or meant to do precise historical accuracy, even if it's putting Jesus in the 16th century Flemish village. It's a realistic, six, right. it's what yeah. it would, except the, is it the Eisenberg altarpiece that Bart worked over the triptych? Uh, and that it hung over Bart's desk, a copy of it. But that one is interesting because it's both real, very realistic, the sores and the things like that. And yet it's also symbolic when you look at the proportions. And I think it's actually how the church's gospels are written. They, it's hard, you know, it's, there's all, there's tons of mundane detail and yet, and deep symbolism woven together into historical narrative. So you can't, it, it's hard to figure out, you know, it, it just like in the Eisenberg altarpiece, which I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's a, it's, I thought it was a great picture of actually theologically and just the narrative that the gospels give us. It was a great example. Whether, you know, on various walls and ruins and, and it may be, I, I don't know if there's any in the catacombs or not, but one of the earliest portrayals of Jesus was Jesus as Apollo. Yeah. The God Apollo. And, and uh, so, and obviously the early church did not have trouble doing that. Um, and then there's the graffiti, right? Uh, where's that piece of graffiti where it's making fun of Christians and showing them worshiping a guy with a jackass head, head oh, yeah, head on the yeah. cross? No, I don't remember. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, and that, that's the whole donkey myth, that whole yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I think, you know, throughout the, ages and contemporary it's i mean he's a he's the kind of figure that that draws that kind of um, iconology and and you know i i think that it's inevitable that sensibilities will be will be uh affected but let me ask this question why why is it okay for christians not to get as upset about jesus being portrayed as say um muslims when it comes to the figure of muhammad so that that might be it's, it's both a cultural, but I think there's a theological thing at work there as well. Yeah, some of it, right? It's just in general the iconoclastic nature of Islam, right? I mean, the, I mean, I mean, Christianity in general has been more comfortable with images, you know, even despite ecumenical debates right, about these right, things. Right. But you just, you know, even. Even today's like, you know, Reformation Protestants. I mean, J.I. Packer, who's a guy that, you know, many evangelicals have read, conservative Anglican, you know, almost Puritan sense, but he, he defends portraits of Jesus and these right. things. So I think in general, there's a different view of the visual arts. Yeah, yeah. And I think also there's a sense where, again, Muhammad is not seen as divine. And there's a such a, you know, like you said, there's any attempts that would, you know, would, whether not so much, well, I think for ridicule in part comes from the sense that, you know, as a Muslim, you're a friend of God because God has revealed all the names of God. So you, you know, God, God, that's the gift of God. He's, he's made himself known to you. So your allegiance to God is the kind of allegiance you would have to an intimate friend. So if one of your friends is offended, you defend your friend. Whereas I think with Christ, part of Christ, uh, you know, our belief that Christ is divine then I think that sets Christ up for the same kind of uh, of ambiguity we feel towards the deity, you know, and 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 so that that opens up the Christ to, for the same kind of scorn and same type of play that we we do with the figure of God. Yeah, I think I think there there's something to that. Also, I think we're in a more pluralistic 
Sure. We've developed into a, a place where you, you have the right to speak, but not the right to not be offended. So like, you, you know, you, it's part of the, the whole kind yeah. of free speech kind of, although I remember when was it Adrian Serrano, the, the pissed Christ. Oh yeah. Where yeah. there was the crucifix and urine in, yeah. in, in New York, I think that that's the last time I can remember like wide yeah. offense. Well, and I was in Texas when the last temptation of Jesus came out. You know, it's interesting about that film. I actually don't think, despite the fact it's not, it's not the necessarily the biblical narratives depiction. I actually don't think Jesus comes off badly. Oh, no, in that I think film. It's, it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite Jesus films, and I, and I think it was just, in some levels, what got people so upset in Texas was the bad theology of the Texas Christians. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm serious. I, I was actually teaching large. I had you know a couple hundred people in science school class down there, and one person stood up and said, you know, my, I, I don't want my Lord being betrayed as being tempted sexually. And so since the person stood up and said it, I said, well, have you ever been tempted sexually? <laughs> and, you know, he got embarrassed. And said, well, sure. I said, yeah. So you, you surely want God to be able to redeem that, don't you? Yeah. But I, so, but it was interesting. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, um, that was a strange time to, well, it was a strange time to be there. Yeah, it's interesting. I found like it, there was also some controversy around Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, because I think the problem with that film was that the pornographic amount of blood and violence—it's almost theologically it, like it, it's it's sort of saying if you would have seen this, you couldn't have you couldn't have missed it. Jesus suffered more physically, which is not true. I mean, there are probably people that suffered physically tortures worse than that. It's this. It's the Death and God abandonment, the spiritual alienation for us that you can't depict with blood. You can't just right. visualize it. Right. So in an attempt to sort of make the invisible visible, right. it, it became like pornographic. Yeah, I, I think so too. It was also, uh, was, was anti-Semitic in some... Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I agree with you. Although, again, okay, so I, I remember seeing that film and I had, I, I had my sons with me and they were teenagers and, um, and these are guys who watched slasher films, okay? Well, they, they were, they were turning away. You know, it was too intense for them. It just happened. We were there in an afternoon and there was a busload of, uh, folks from, from one of the urban areas, an African American church at the parts where they were turning away from where he was being beaten. The crowd was cheering. Hmm. And they weren't cheering because he was being beaten, but they were cheering because, because he was, he was being beaten for them. And they identified, I think, with his his hmm. his abuse. So, again, I think a lot of people were offended for a lot of reasons by the Mel Gibson movie, and and I think rightfully so. But again, it, you know, the iconology worked for some people. Yeah, and and, uh, and maybe sometimes um, because we live in a pretty sanitized world, those who aren't uh, who aren't so sheltered from violence and mayhem. Um, they identified with the mayhem that Jesus and the violence Jesus was going through. Two more artistic notes. One is that in the church you serve is one of there's a picture. It's one of my favorite. I I, I call it like boardroom, like Donald Trump Jesus. Yeah, he kind of has this like gentle scour, and I I picture he's at the end of a table, and I picture him going, "You're fired." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, now, like, you know, it's funny. I don't get that from that picture. It's, you... it's my Trump Jesus. I mean, it's the gentle Trump Jesus. But the other thing, uh. Now, I'll put it in the show notes, but you certainly know this painting, the Solomon Jesus. Right. Uh, it was it was my 
That's the Sunday school Jesus picture. At the at this at this uh, faces of Jesus discussion at the art museum, the Rembrandt thing, the Catholic priest said of that, I call that Protestant Jesus. This is all <laughs> my Protestant friends had that Jesus. But it's funny because Walter Salomon, uh, he painted Warner Salomon, Salomon, Warner Salomon. Uh, it's called the Salomon head, the head of Christ. Said that he it was given to him like a vision, and you know, at certain, certain evangelical conservative circles, like they would have him come at a Bible rally and paint. They this just right. it turns out the art historian said he lifted it from some Flemish painter. Uh. <laughs> you can see, like when he puts them on, it's clear he copied it. So, <laughs> so this, and he said when he released that, he got so many angry letters from like this. There's this little tribe of Salomonites, Salomonites that they really. I think this is revealed truth. This yeah, it's funny. <laughs> you know, I was, um, I was in a church in Ghana and there was a big picture of white Jesus at this large church. And I, and I, and I really, it really felt, and it was, it was that kind of picture. I don't know if it was exactly that, but it was the really, really white Jesus. And I, and it was an evangelical conservative, uh, which I mean, that may be a redundancy. It was not a Catholic uh, church in Ghana, but and I just I was talking to my friend there in Ghana. And I said, you know, why? And so, well, this was what the missionaries, you know, this was their, this was how they were, this was their picture of Jesus. I said, but what does that do? I mean, he, he does. First of all, you can at least darken it up a little bit, so he at least looked like a probably something. I guess like a Berber, but probably the modern Berbers are probably close to maybe what the color was, but. I said, but this is like this is like white European Jesus, and you know, the the British folks who 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 owned this country, yeah, who 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 ran this country, and it, and he said, yeah, but it's a strong icon. But but I, I still it, it struck me what what was the effect of that icon? I mean, I was very conscious as a white person from America when I came, you know, to do something in Africa or anywhere, you know, there was a, there was a power, uh, there was a power about that. So I, it, to me, it was an iconology. Again, it's their church; they get to do what they want to. But I, I think it's a it's a not so subtle iconology that probably wasn't helping them in some some significant ways. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm rereading some stuff about 19th century philosophy and theology these days, and it's got me rethinking some stuff from this guy Ernst Trelch, who was early 20th century historian and social theorist, fabulous uh, social critic, not always the best constructive theologian, but great at social ethics and social analysis. And he kind of quibbled with Hegel, the great German philosopher of the 19th century. Hegel thought that the truth of Christianity was philosophical, that this reconciliation that, you know, Hegel's trying to unite all things. And so what's more opposite the finite, infinite death and God. So in the death of God, you have the birth of spirit reconciliation when, you know, showing that really things aren't opposites. They're really, there's, the synthesis. Yeah, there's synthesis and the, the whole master-slave analogy and how they right. both have a kind of freedom. But Hegel thought, you know, once you knew that, you really didn't need the symbols. You just needed the ideas. And Trouch thought, no, real religious traditions need these figures. And and he said, Jesus is so powerful because even now, you really, maybe if you're a German in the 19th century, you're really, you know, worshiping, and this is a little cynical, but you're really more devoted to Luther than Jesus. But when you're looking at Jesus, he can absorb Luther. And there's a truth in that, that I think the reason why uh, there's this Christian doctrine, the totus Christus, the whole Christ, 
that, that the reason why there's so many infinite portraits and he's such a rich symbol, I think, is because it can embody, absorb all these ideas in, in the whole body of Christ that sometimes seem to be at odds in tension with each other. And that's part of, I think, the beauty of the incarnation. He's a symbol that can't just be visible, visibly depicted in so many ways, but actually can carry the weight of so much symbol, idea, struggle, and hope. Yeah, so uh, maybe that is part of the reason why it's good theology and piety to have as you know the biggest you know to embrace as much as we can of of the popular portrayal of Jesus. God can use anything to bring us to God. Yeah, paint on a big canvas. Sometimes his eyes were gentle and filled with laughter. Sometimes they cried. And sometimes there was a fire of holy anger in Jesus' eyes. But the eyes that saw hope in the hopeless, that saw through the fall to the need, are the same eyes that look down from heaven into the deepest part of you and me. His eyes are always upon us. His eyes never close in sleep. And no matter where you go, you'll always be in His eyes. In His eyes. Like rolling thunder Or like driving rain Sometimes his voice is quiet We start to wonder If he knows our pain But he who spoke peace to the water Cares more for your heart than the waves And the voice that once said you're forgiven He still says you're forgiven Today Today Sometimes I look above me When stars are shining And I feel so small How could the God of heaven And all creation Know I'm here at all silence he whispers my child I created you too you are my most precious creation I even gave my son for you and his eyes are always upon you his eyes never close Sometimes his eyes are gentle 
and filled with laughter. 